Hey y'all, this is All Your Things Are Gone, and this week we have uh, my friend Sonny DePerry. Uh, we were in a band together, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago now, I guess, called Identified. He was on a previous episode with uh, those guys. But uh, talking to Sonny uh, was important to me just because he has kind of had a storied career. He went out to L.A. with really, you know, like five bucks in his pocket. I mean, not literally, but kind of went out there, didn't know what he was going to do, and kind of fell into recording and really made a name for himself, and he continues to. It's a great story, and glad he told it. No, this is all the things we've done. For a while later after me. Cool. Thought, thought of you today. I went into Bolinas for the first time. Where? Bolinas, Bolinas? California. Oh, I've never been there. B-O-L-I-N-A-S. What'd you do? Uh, we just needed to make a little, like, grocery run. And, uh... You know, I've always heard about that town, but I've never seen it. And it's just this, like, it got settled after, like, the, the summer of love and all that shit. So it's like all real old hippies and shit. It's fucking awesome. Is it on the water? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Well, from it's that, so fucking nice. From that picture you sent me, you can see the water from where you are, which is goddamn fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's every morning I walk down on the beach, it's literally eight minutes walking. uh, Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice. It's really like, it's what, like, like, if you look up photos of Bolinas, like, it's a beach town that's in the Redwoods, you know? I might have been there. Where where exactly are you? Yeah, I'm sure I went there when when we drove up. I'm in Stinson, Stinson, Beach, Stinson Beach, which is about 35 minutes north of San Fran. And uh, this this is the Tape Op studio? Yeah, correct. Yep. And so, Linus is another 15 minutes north of where I am. Mm-hmm. But they, it's funny, they take the, like, the, 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 there's a, supposed to be a sign that says, like, Bolinas this way, you know, and the, yeah, apparently the people of the town keep taking it down. Because <laughs> they don't want people there. Yeah, they don't want anyone there. And they pulled this, they pulled this move, like, in the 60s where they said, you only get so many water meters. And so, like, the like the amount of houses in Bolinas has been the same since, like, the early 60s, apparently. Really? Interesting. So they want yeah. to trap themselves take zero growth zero growth it's cool yeah so is the town kind of just stuck in history a little bit in time big time big time it's awesome it's like back to the future 1965 (laughs) it's cool dude it's really cool but it is it's weird because you're like to get a water meter it's like five hundred (laughs) thousand (laughs) dollars So who lives there? That's the question. I think just tech people. Well, not. I, I take it back. They're like fighting the tech people. It's all these rich hippies, or not even rich. I think it's like a, you know a bunch of hippies from San Francisco moved north to get away from all the techs. No, just to get away from the city back yeah. in the sixties. Mm-hmm. And they settled. It used to be 
like an old trapper area, trapper village. Interesting. In port, little port city. And so I think a bunch of hippies are like, yeah, man, we'll just go up there. And then all their property has just, you know, it's worth millions upon millions of dollars. <laughs> and, and, they, <laughs> and they're not going to sell any of it. No. Good. No. Good. Exactly. So uh, I guess probably the best way is like, how did you end up in at the tape off studio? Um, I, so like a few years ago, reading the magazine, there was an ad um, for this place mm -hmm. called the Pan Panoramic House. And it just, it, you know, it's idealistic Airbnb for musicians, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of a friends and family thing only. And I was working at a studio in New York that recently closed. And the owner of the New York studio said, hey, I got this place up in uh, California. And we're trying to eventually set it up as a studio, kind of like a set it and forget it. And so I've been trying to get up here for a couple of years. And I finally got a project up here three years ago or two years ago, and then I did another record this August up here, and this is my third time up here. Yeah. <clears throat> you recently fell in love with Northern California after living, after living in L.A. for how long? Ten years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't – there's something special about it up oh, here. Of course, absolutely. I mean, if, if there was one place I would be other than New England, it would be Northern, Northern California for sure. Yeah, well – we lost power recently because it was really stormy up here. And, oh, there's a deer. Hey, buddy. Whoa, he's so close to me. Holy oh, shit. Really? Whoa, yeah, it's a little guy. <laughs> what the? I, I can, it's like 12 feet away. God um, damn it. There was a huge power outage up here, and a transformer blew up during a rainstorm. But it was so high up in the hill. Mm-hmm. That they had to hike the crew. PG&E had to hike the crew up to get there. That we, we were talking to a guy in town, mm -hmm. but it makes me really nervous because that could have been a huge fire if it wasn't raining. You know? Yeah. Well, that that one company got definitely paying yeah. the price. Yeah. So it makes you realize, like, oh damn, maybe that's what could have happened to us. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that you think about that shit all the time. I I, I would assume. When you're up here, you do, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, where, how did you get to where you are? I mean, you, 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 you've had this kind of, I mean, I don't want to say it's maybe a little overstated, but I think it's true uh, from my standpoint, kind of meteoric rise <laughs> in a way. And um, do you want to just start where, like, how you how you got to where you are? I mean, and it's a long story, but I'm you know, I, I know I've heard it, but I, I I don't think I've know every single intricacy and yeah where I can uh, what happened and um, we don't need to go in great detail, but I know you don't have a lot of time, but let's let's talk about how you got the how you went to, you moved to California. What happened? Okay, so I moved to California uh, end of summer two thousand and eight. Um, because my buddy Adam had lived out there and got an internship and I never knew what an internship was. And he, he was kind of saying, you know, you work for free, uh, you work too many hours and 
you know, you're in the industry that you want to be a part of. And I was, I just kind of said to myself, Oh, that sounds great. You know, like just not even knowing what, how savage internships are. <laughs> um, and so I just, I kind of independently decided to just kind of throw caution to the whim, the wind and move to LA. And, uh, were you scared? That, oh, I was terrified. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't really set in until I hit Arizona. My dad and I did this road trip together and it was fine. And then when I hit Arizona, cause they, they had a, a retirement property out there that they had to sell during the recession. Mm-hmm. So we were able to stay in it for two days. It hit me like a ton of bricks cause my dad and I, you know, we were talking a lot and just, I just said like, I'm really scared, you know, and, Oh, two deer. Whoa. And he just basically said, you know, you don't have to, you know, this is not a forever move, but you should give it some time. And if you don't like it, you come home, you know, it's, what are you going to do? Was he caught? Just like, was he, was he giving you like the, you know, this kind of, this is a pipe dream kind of thing or was he fully behind it? Well, when I moved, when I was moving out to California, I didn't really have, because all of my sort of plans had fallen apart. I just kind of thought if I move out there strictly just to exist, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I did. I, I moved out to LA the first day I, you know, my dad left, I woke up, I had an absolute panic attack and like sat in my living room and just cried and freaked out. Cause I didn't know what I did. I didn't have a car. I had no way to find where the grocery so store the didn't come out with you. What did you drive out? And <laughs> we rented a car. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the 940, the 1998, 944 Porsche didn't make it out. There. Uh, 1983. Sorry. 944. Sorry. Yeah. And, uh, I just kind of said, okay, like I guess to go get a job now. Just thinking I would just go work at Trader Joe's or get a job at a bowling alley. Cause I had worked in a bowling alley previously. And I thought maybe I could just try to get into music a little bit. And I was just happy being in Southern California. I just was happy to exist out there. Yeah. And Adam kind of, you know, did me a solid. He, my first day, he just called me and said, look, we need a driver for the production company. Why don't you just come, come drive? It's two fifty a day. They give you a, a Lincoln Navigator and a GPS. <laughs> and I was, I was so double negative, right? Navigator yeah. and GPS. Yeah. Well, I was excited because it was just, you know, I had a super crazy SUV to drive, and I just had a bunch of addresses and times to, to be at places. Who were you driving? Uh, I, I was just for a production company. It was a bunch of people that were in an ad for University of Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, and it was. <laughs> And I had my iPod just plugged in, sitting in mm-hmm. traffic. <laughs> what, were you li- what were you listening to? Were you- no, ISIS, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, you guys like ISIS? They live here. Uh, <laughs> the band, ISIS, the band. Mm-hmm. Um, to be clear about that. Sure. And, uh, yeah, on the fourth day, so my fifth day living in California, he got he found me this listing on the United Talent United Talent Agency list that just said multi platinum band. Which is like a closed like Yep, totally. Paper or whatever. You know, I don't know if it's it's I don't think it's physical print anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's like a it's like a closed network of entertainment industry jobs across 
film, TV, music, all this stuff. I still, I honestly still to this day, I've never actually seen a UTA <laughs> list. Yeah. Um, so basically, Adam was really cool. He said, look, um, here's the email. I've just put, he sent it to me. He said, just send your resume to that email. And it just said, it was super, super vague. It said multi-platinum band with A-list producer seeks recording studio assistant or something like that. I'd love, I'd love to find it. Um, yeah, for sure. And so, and so I applied and I actually got a response. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. And I got a reply next day, which was, it was psychotic that I got a reply because it's one of the, you know, you just assume that nobody gets, you know, you, you assume thousands of kids are applying to these ads and there's no way that you'll get a call back, especially because I had zero experience in a professional studio environment. Yeah. And you had no, like, you had no inclination to do that, right? You know, you, there, there was no, you had no, you know, uh, idea that that's, that was what you were going out there to do. I wanted to start a studio in a house, kind of like a, a punk house. Mm-hmm. But it, that, and I had a, my friend who was a quote unquote engineer gave me a gear list of kind of workhorse microphones to buy, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I had never, ever, I had played on albums and, you know, we had recorded with our old band, but I had never done any mixing or never recorded anything on my own. Yeah. You know, I'd never even seen Pro Tools before. <laughs> I didn't even know what it looked like. Uh, yeah. And so I, I applied and I was very transparent about not having any experience. And I think the the day-to-day manager had told me that he took a bunch of resumes and threw them all up in the air. And I can't remember if they were face up or face down, but the ones that were, you know, landed a certain way he replied to. <laughs> that's what he says. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. Um, I interviewed and he kind of said, you know, this is for 30 seconds to Mars. This is, you know, we have a producer named flood producing, uh, you're, you're, you're not going to be doing anything other than getting lunch and cleaning the studio and making coffee and, you know, essentially helping the band behind the scenes get what they need to make the record. And did you know who Flood was at the time? No, no. So I knew who the band was, um, you know, being a fan of the first record um, and liking a lot of the second record for sure. And... I went out, so, you know, my, apparently my interview with this guy, John Coulter, went well. And he walked me out past everyone, like all the other assistants, and he said, you know, I'm sorry, this is not going to work, but, you know, thanks for stopping by. Oh, gave me Jesus Christ. I know. And you know what, man? Like, everyone was there in suits, and it, it's just, it's the L.A. thing. Like, everyone looked way cooler than me. And I was just feeling really out of place and just kind of like, ah, oh, this is stupid. Yeah, we you can know, talk about that kind of like, culture and see how it affects you now later. But for sure, that's, that's, another, that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other fucking duck, yeah. I'm down. Um, but yeah, and he gave me this piece of paper that was an address. And 
he just, when he closed the door, he said, don't be early and don't be late. Be there at noon. <laughs> and I, I said, okay. You know, and I was just so confused. And I went to the address the next day. Uh, I met with the guitar player and the drummer of the band, Shannon and Tomo. Uh, and, you know, we kind of talked and hung out. And Shannon, Shannon and I had bonded because we're drum nerds and I love drum tuning and all that stuff. Uh, and drum building and Tomo was great. He just said, look, man, you've got no experience. You've never recorded anything. We're a major label band. What what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> and he, he was right. You know, I said, look, I'll work for free. You don't have to pay me. I just want to learn how to make records. I, and I don't know what came over me. I just thought I really want to do this, you know, and I'll do whatever it takes to do it because I love music and being in the band is not really my thing anymore. Mm. And I said, I can tune drums really well so I can maintain the, the drum kit for you. And Shannon liked that. And they said, well, why don't you come back and meet our producer? So I came back the next day and I, I met flood, but I didn't know who he was. And so I just, you know, I was like, okay, it's a weird name. And it's like, <laughs> you, so you, you, know, you go by flood, but that, that's your name. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know that's weird. Yeah, and he's just this cool British guy in a cardigan. I just wish I was half as cool as him when I met him, you know. <laughs> and we ended up talking for a really long time. I thought I was going to be there for an hour, but I was there for a really long time just talking about records and sort of the mindset of, you know, artists and how to how I felt about bands making changes in their careers and you know, just imperfection in, in record making that I love. And very, very embarrassing. I was actually talking about half of his discography. <laughs> like what? Oh, I, you know, I named the big ones, the sort of Nine Inch Nails. And I named, you know, there was, I remember, and I was, it was when the Killers were kind of really big. And they had been big for about a year at that point with Sam's Town. And I said, I loved the first Killers record, but the shift was way better, you know, on the second record. And then, and he, he was really cool. Just like, why, do you, why, you know what I mean? What struck you? What stuck to you? You know, I think I, I definitely referenced Smashing Pumpkins. I definitely referenced Cigarettes. Just total idiot, you know, <laughs> but it's the music that I like. So yeah, you know, you. yeah. And you know, I told him that I had no experience and that I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and, and he just he just laughed. He said, "You're going to be perfect." Awesome. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I still I still didn't have the job. You know? No. Okay. So what happened? So I had to come back and meet Jared. <laughs> How was that? Then it was awesome. Like he, you know, he walked. And he's like, "Hey, man, I'm Jared. Nice to meet you." And I was just like, "Holy shit." Did you, I mean, obviously you knew it was him at that time, like you were going to be me. I knew it was the band. Yeah, I knew yeah. it was the band that he was in for sure. But you just, I was 22. I lived in California for six days at this point. Like, ugh, I was just, I was a wreck in a good way, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was, he just said, look, like you don't have enough experience. You know, I know that Flood wants to hire you and I know that Shannon wants to hire you, but I don't, we don't think that you have 
you know, enough. We're just going to be wasting time trying to get you up to speed. And we have someone else that is already up to speed. And I said, well, why don't you just keep him and let me handle all the food and the cleaning and the sort of like gopher stuff. Yeah. And that's what we did. So at one point did it like change for you and and I guess maybe flood and whoever else, you know, it seemed that it, it morphed into something way more than it, than it was at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there was a moment. I mean, when flood was in LA, he didn't want to drive anywhere. So I had to pick him up and drop him off mm-hmm. every night. And there was a lot of, so what car were you using at this point? Was this the Mercedes? What does my transportation have to do with that? <laughs> I don't know. It's just yeah. so funny. It's just 19, 1983, 240D, Navy Blue Mercedes. That was powered by veggie oil. Yeah, that you did yourself, correct? Yes, I would siphon it out of a Thai restaurant every night. <laughs> so you know, that was my, why, why is that interesting? Of course that's interesting. That was, that was my piece at the end of the night, at midnight every night. Yeah. Um yeah, like I, we were just talking, and I, I said, you know, I want to, I really want to make. I don't know why I want to record bands. I just want to make records, and I, I don't, I honestly don't, I can't tell you like why I got in. I want, you know, I wanted to be a part of this shift that helped bring change to alternative music. I don't know why. I know that sounds pretentious. That's just how I feel. And you know, we were talking about it. And he said, "All right, well." You know, you've been here for a couple of months. There's been a lot of engineers coming through. And, you know, I I kept a notebook of the sessions. And I, I look back at it and I laugh because it's like, this is an SM58. You know, like I didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. And so it, all of it blew my mind. You know, like the first time we recorded a drum set, and I could see the waveforms in the computer. I needed to go outside and be like, this is crazy. Yeah, you can see the waveforms, you know. Um, and so there was this kind of moment of like we were having breakfast, and he just said, "You know, this is a serious apprenticeship you're in. You're only a couple months in. You know, what what do you want to do with this?" And I told him, "I said I want to sit on your side of the table. You know, I want to do what you do, what I think a record producer is supposed to do, and I don't know what that is." And so he said, okay. And basically at the moment, he, yeah. And he kind of says, so like, if you want to do it, you're going to have to work insanely for about 10 years. Yeah. And he, and he said, just pay attention, but I'm going to show you the intermediate basics. And so basically, you know, seven, uh, no, five really talented engineers and producers had come through that record. And I was watching them sort of do all of it. Like, oh, they use this mic here, and they plug this into this, you know, and watching how it all kind of unfolded. And then, you know, at night I would ask questions, and Flood would kind of say, this is, you know, this mic does this, and this is why I had the engineer do this, and, you know, walk me through the intermediate stuff. Yeah. And I decided that I really needed to buy Pro Tools, because we were working in Pro Tools and, you know, my roommate Adam was writing songs. And so on the weekends, I would just record his songs for fun. 
just to practice and practice and practice and practice. So I was getting a lot of time in and learning Pro Tools and learning how to actually record instruments on a very basic level. And basically, after about nine months of that, um, we had gone so far over schedule and over budget. Uh, the band basically said, you know, we're out of money to hire these big name engineers. Uh, you know, the other assistant, Jamie is really good with vocal comping and the sort of meat and potatoes tracking has been done. Can you handle just doing guitars and keyboards? And I said, yeah, of course, but it turned into this whole thing where I was way more equipped than anyone was anticipating me being ready for. Really? And so it was, yeah, it had been months of me just goofing around and practicing and and looking at how people did things. And so Mm -hmm. there was a moment where they said, we have to re-record drums on the song. And I had never recorded a drum set before. How'd it go? It was just, uh, it could have been better, but it wasn't a train wreck. It was (laughs) one of those, it, I just, what I did was I, 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 they told me there was an engineer that came through and they said, this guy's stuff sounds really good. It's got to sound like that. And so I had pictures and recall notes of how that person had recorded the drums. And so I just set everything up exactly the same. And I was able to get really close to the same sound. Awesome. And I was, and that's how I learned where my fault, like, Oh, I'm not doing this correctly. I'm not doing this correctly. Um, I need to change this or, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I was with them for almost a year and a half. Damn. It took that long to record that record. Yeah. I just, well, they were writing and recording at the same time. So it wasn't, it wasn't just knocking it out, you know? Yeah. So what did you do after that? I mean, what did, did, were you, Ultimately, after that, were you did you have a, a, a name, or were you, were you still like trying to just uh, find something in that same sort of industry? Were, were you equipped to just go and do something after that? No, I, I, I definitely, I still don't have a name. I still, and at, at the time when I finished at the Mars house, I kept in touch with all the engineers and mixers that came through, but I had a, you know. I had an ally in flood and can call him and ask for guidance and all that stuff. And I said, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. You know? And he said, what you should do is you should go to a commercial studio and really learn the sort of quote unquote professional by the book studio workings. So you could just become a little more proficient, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I went from being, you know, the engineer on a major label record to all the way back down to interning or trying to get an internship again at a big studio. And I applied to every single studio in Los Angeles. <laughs> and that disheartening? Just, no, no, no. I just, I want, I just want to do jobs. You yeah. know, I just wanted to just be in the studio and I couldn't because of the recession and also because of how, really exclusive the studio world is, which I've now learned is that I wasn't basically, they weren't taking anyone. And so, uh, one of the, the people at the the 30 seconds to Mars house, one of the camera kids 
who filmed everything said he had a bunch of songs. And so I recorded his EP and we spent like two weeks recording and mixing. And, uh, you know, I, we, I kept trying to get into a studio, but they were, you know, life is a series of carrots. Right. And so I just kept getting dragged out into the, the freelance world. Uh, yeah. And well, that you, turned in. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. <clears throat> it seems like you've had some really substantial uh, interactions with various, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, larger, big names. I mean, obviously, this this one and um, talking to you and knowing you for you know, as long as I have. Um, yeah. You, you've talked about various things you've done out there. Um, in particular, you know, you did the, uh, what was the thing with the uh, Foo Fighters and, uh, oh, right. Paul, yeah, Paul McCartney and shit like that. Yeah. So, like, so where, where, where does that fall? I can, yeah, I can so let's, that let's go, let's go, <laughs> let's go through all that. I want to, I, see, I, I, yeah. I want to, I want to, it seems like, and, uh, and I want to, I want to put it in context. And the reason I ask about that is because, and I, you know, I say early on that it was like your meteoric, you know, rise. But it's more like you are kind of like a LA story in a in a way. You yeah, went out there with, with you went out there with no like real idea, kind of what you wanted to do. You went out there knowing maybe you wanted to work in music, but and you yeah, and you you know you fell into this thing that it was really lucrative and you know made your name, and you are where you are now doing like amazing shit so oh, like you've gone through all these like series of you know experiences and what have you to get where you are and uh, i don't know i think it's i think all those experiences are very interesting and should be oh, documented and that's i mean that's obviously why i wanted to talk to you you know uh-huh. other than the fact that i hope we're friends you know uh we're still friends yeah, yeah <laughs> we're still friends um well, but more or less you know that that that's it's interesting because I think, you know, a lot of what I talk about on this is that these, a lot of these people maybe not, don't see the success that maybe you might have. And and also dealing with these bands who are like national acts that you've done stuff with, you know, how has that affected you? How did you get there? And that kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, from, from doing that, little EP after the Mars record I had called flood as a joke and I said look I'm going to come to London I want to apprentice more and you know I had met his frequent collaborator and best friend Alan Mulder when Alan was in LA as well and Alan was doing a record for them crooked vultures and Alan had asked me to be the assistant and I said I I can't because I'm committed to this Mars thing but I'll, I'll quit if you want me to to assist, I mean, Dave Grohl, Josh Homme, and John Paul Jones, like, I'll, I'll jump ship, you know. Yeah. And, Alan, and, you know, I was really young and, and a, kind of an opportunist, and Alan kind of said that's inappropriate. You but it finish. seems to happen more often than you think. I don't know, from what I gather. I, like, I don't jump. I don't you don't jump, jump but some people no. do. A lot of people do. I don't do it. Like, I finish what I start. 
and I form that I'm a man, you know, I try to be a man of my word as much as possible. Good. And I think that's important because, you know, I went to London and I was just shadowing flood while he was doing some singles for a band. And this guy came up to me and he said, you know, I'm mixing downstairs with Alan. And he said, there's an American in the building who can record my vocals. Is that you? <laughs> That's me. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who Alan was mixing. And, you know, I open up the file and I kind of get it going in the studio and I kind of get everything sounding. And I put the vocals up and I just remember saying to myself, holy shit, this is Interpol. And holy shit, this is Paul Banks. Wow. You know? And... I think that was, you know, that was a big opportunity for me just to learn from Paul and his, how his approach, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from there, like it was a bunch of sort of just funny little weird happenstance stories or just situations. You know, I went back to LA and an engineer that had come through the Mars record I had been friends with and I helped him build his studio and he said, you know, I'm recording this band. Uh, they just signed to Rough Trade. I need you to record it. And it was the debut LP for Warpaint. <laughs> and just sort of like being, you know, I was just kind of young enough and nebulous enough to be to be open to all these experiences where all those things would kind of lead to other things, you mm -hmm. know? And so... Doing the, after you know working with Warpaint and being the engineer on that record, I ended up working at a few recording studios as an in-house assistant to get more experience because I was I really didn't have the chops to be out on my own really doing professional level recording like I do now. I just didn't have that skill set. And an owner of a studio, he basically told me like, "Look, if you don't learn this stuff, you're going to screw the pooch." <laughs> And he was right. And so he took me in and really it was like boot camp in, in audio. Hmm. Where was that? It was at the Lair with this guy named Larry Getz, who's still he's like a really, really close friend of mine and he's just he's like my audio dad. He's great. <laughs> audio dad. Um Yeah, he's oh but he's just he's a sage. He's seen it all. He's sixty years old. He's seen every format come and go, every style of music that's become a hit or not a hit. Mm -hmm. He's, he's seen it, you know? And so when I was at one of those studios, um, you know, someone who had played guitar in like a, a small band around LA that I had worked with, his father had owned a management company that had signed Portugal, the man. And this is back in 2011, I think. Yeah. They needed to finish in the mountain in the cloud and I was the assistant at the studio and the producer and the engineer came through. We did a few weeks together. It was fine. But at the end of the session, the producer said, you know, we're taking Sunday off or, you know, we're taking the day off. And so I decided to sort of clean up the studio and John Gorley, the singer said, Hey man, we're going to be on tomorrow. We'll see you then. And we did a song in a day me and the band and I went from being a fan of this band and having their CDs <laughs> to saying like, do you think the, the drum should be more dead? You know, it was just weird. Yeah. 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 And, ha and because they, they wanted to make a song together. And so we did, you know, and I think my session with 
with Portugal kind of spearheaded this whole thing because, you know, a couple of months later, we'll fast forward a year later, they, you know, the band took me to Texas to start Evil Friends. And so I think, you know, I think like a lot of this has been a series of just relationships with the right people and sure just sure i mean i think that you know that's i mean i think that's a lot of what you know success is and fortunately unfortunately you know i mean sometimes talent gets you where you are and then and then obviously a a combination of that like you know you you obviously were in the right place at the right time and you had the talent to, to facilitate it which is crazy you know it is. It's. I. It's still to me. I, I still think about it today. Like even even today in the studio, you know, we were recording drums and all this stuff. And I still I'm like, I, do I know what I'm doing? Like, <laughs> I still have this weird imposter syndrome thing that I just don't think is ever going to go away. I'm just good. Really, it makes me. It makes me work really hard. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I don't think you would would be where you are if you know. If you if flood hadn't been like you need to work really hard and you were like fuck that uh, can I just like get through it and you were I don't know the way I see it is like you were put at the like the lowest yes you know the lowest thing on the totem pole and you and you you didn't see that at all you know and most people would just like look at that and kind of just more or less stay there just because it's too insurmountable to to get over. And you certainly didn't didn't go that route, which is you know and amazing to me. Oh, thanks, man. It is. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre, and I, I think I still think I'm not. I still think I've got so so far to go because it's not like you know. I think it's not the '90s, so this this the budgets and the money that people talk about, which I've never seen. Yeah, that's that's it doesn't exist. So I don't, I don't even know what it was like. You know what I mean? So the people talk about funny. that, like the flood yeah. talk about that shit and Alan Mulder. Really? Well, flood, flood, flood just cares about making records that are cool. So mm-hmm. he's never been one to give a shit about money. Uh, and I think that's also a big deal. Cause if you follow the music, it leads, it leads you to better projects later, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the thing. Like I, you know, I had enough. Like when they called, when Portugal called me to go to Texas, this guy Tom, I was working for on and off for years. He basically, you know, I worked for him for free, and he gave me free studio time so I could make money on the side. And he basically spent a year and a half grooming me and taking me to all these world class studios all around Los Angeles, and I was really getting my chops up, you know because of Tom. And then I got the, he basically said, there's a big record coming in. I'm going to, I'm really going to pay you well, you know, for all the stuff you've done. We just don't know the dates yet. And then, you know, Portugal called me and it was an opportunity based their manager said to me, look, they're not going down with the producer. They're going down with you. There's a chance. There's a chance that it's just like you could get some stuff on this record, and that was the that was the moment where I was like, okay, I, I can either do this big record and get paid seventeen hundred dollars a day as an engineer, or I can work on this 
record with potential to be a producer for $250 a day, which is still great. Still great. And yeah, it's a lot of fucking money. And, and it was just like, it was a no brainer mm. just to, to, to go. I, I believed, you know, I'd become friendly with the Portugal dudes and I believed in them and they believed in me. And we were just a bunch of mid twenties dipshits running around, you know, like it, it was my, it was the chance. It was just like, let's, let's get in there and see if we can fuck up the system, you know? How do you, I mean, how do you realize that in the moment? That's, I mean, that's a tough thing, I think, for some people, especially, not for your situation in particular, but maybe, uh, how do you realize that this is your chance and this is the, I could I could easily make a lot more money and do this other record, but this is the one I want to do. I mean, how do you realize that? Well, you know, that, I was lucky to have a mentor and I, I called flood really, I was really nervous, you know, some, as soon as you sign on to something with a major label, then you're dealing with the machine behind it. That's sure. Ma- managers and A and R reps and people doing scheduling and budgeters. And it's just way out of my control and it's above my head. Not anymore. But it, is, it was then. Yeah. And I, I called flood and I said, look, I don't really know what to do. You know, like I, there's this huge opportunity, and but there's, there's there's two huge opportunities. Which one do I choose? You know, mm-hmm. and he told me a story of how when he was, it, it's really interesting. He was my age, and he had just engineered Joshua Tree by U two. <laughs> yeah, so then you like you, you compare yourself for a split second. You're like, oh, that was a mistake. I can't do that. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then he said that they had asked him, they asked him to mix Joshua Tree. Wow. And at the same time, there was a little band called Eraser or Razor that Flood was friends with, and they had a record deal, and they had asked him to produce. And Flood just said, that, you know, he said the way that he decided was, what do you want to do? what do you want to really, really do in the studio? Mm-hmm. And I didn't even think I want to be a producer. I was like, great. Well, then you know what you have to go do. Wow. Cause that was the choice that he made as well. Yeah. Hmm. That doesn't mean I, I mix for people and I still engineer for people all the time, but the opportunity to help a creative visionary go through the fire is way more interesting to me than work as an engineer for a project that's kind of like pastiche and vanity based, you know, <laughs> it just wasn't, I would have been miserable. Yeah. Miserable. Mm. And, you know, I don't know if that phone call led to other things, but, you know, because I had been working for Alan out there, I got a phone call while I was in Texas from this guy named Eric Sherman, who used to manage, you know, Trent Reznor. And he said, look, I got your, got your number from the Mulder camp. Um, we're holding auditions for programmer, mixer, engineer people. And, you know, we asked Alan if he knew anyone or recommended anybody. And your name came up, and I was just like, "Oh, Jesus, okay, wow, Jesus!" Like I'm, I'm not ready. To, I wasn't ready to do that gig, you know, or just be a part of that. 
I mean, he's my idol and I think he's one of the best artists alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that was supposed to be just like a weekend week long thing that turned into four months. Cuck. Just every day being at his house. He, it's funny. He's like, yeah, I have a studio in my garage, which is, you know, and everyone. is this in, in LA or is this in, does he live in fucking Louisiana or some shit? Not anymore. It was in Beverly Hills. Okay. And it was just fun. You know, how, how many people have the funny uncle that's like, yeah, I got a studio in my garage, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he did. And it was a world-class studio in his garage. <laughs> and that, that was the sort of, that was the gig I needed because I was kind of coming off of these projects where I thought, you know, I thought I was maybe a little bit better than I was. Really? Yeah, just because I went from like recordings a few like bigger indie bands to then, you know, my work in Texas, two of those tracks that I produced made it to Evil Friends. They made it to the end. Mm-hmm. And I got a co-production credit on those songs. And, and that's huge. Like Portugal really threw me a bone. So how, how really, often does, does that, that happen? Like where you there's several producers on a record and you get like maybe one or two tracks all the way through to the record. I mean, is that, is that pretty commonplace or no, nine times out of 10, if it's a big producer, they just redo everything. <laughs> it, it's not, it's and it, it's not because they're trying to monopolize stuff. It's just, if they're trying to put everything in a certain world, it's just mm-hmm. easier to sure. do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And apparently the band had played stuff to, to Danger Mouse and was like, yeah, those those two songs sound almost done to me. Let's use those. Cool. That's amazing. So, yeah. And, you know, that's how it kind of led to the me doing, a, you know, being an assistant on the Josh Ami, Trent Reznor, Dave Grohl thing. You know, it's just I was in the background running Trent's computer. <laughs> no Which is hilarious to watch. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. Watch that video. And you just like, you're just in the background. It's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> I look at that, look at that fucking back. huge mop he's got. Uh, still got it. Still got it. Still got that mop. You, you still got it at your old age. <laughs> I know. Hey, I'm not going bald. Either of us are. You can, We're good. You can, you can, you can dig me on your podcast and you can edit out all my digs on you. <laughs> no. So the whole world can know how much of a bully you still. So you are. see now, 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 now they think that there's a whole bunch of digs that I just fucking edited out. I, don't <laughs> I, don't, I have no control over this shit. <clears throat> uh, so I mean, what did what did you do after that? I mean, it it it's all like amazingly interesting, and, and oh, people, you know, again, I think you're. I excuse it, but I think you're, you're lucky. You've done a lot of great stuff, you know, and uh, who else? I mean, I don't know a lot of producers. I don't know a lot of engineers. I don't know anybody out in LA except for pretty much you, but uh, it seems like, like just like a fortuitous, amazing journey. And I mean, I don't mean to blow it too much out of proportion, but I, I, as your friend, uh, every time you tell me something, I'm like, fuck amazing you know i'm like so well you know what it is i am afraid of what i do a little bit yeah because i feel like it and yeah i feel like i'm swimming in the ocean and at some point something's gonna chomp me do you go into things like that i mean do you i mean this current session you're in like do you feel like a little bit afraid do you feel like you're 
kind of out of your, out of your element a little bit, maybe sometimes. Yeah. A little bit. I do. Yeah. And I think that's, that's good. Because yeah. It gives you, give you a little humility. It does. And, it, but the thing is, I think when you're, when you're out of your comfort zone and you're on your toes, you know, for lack of a better analogy, it's kind of like a, a little bit of a boxing match, you know what I mean? You're trying to just observe everything around you. So when a move happens, you're ready for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of good because it doesn't, and I, I approach everything the same, you know what I mean? I don't think it's cool to, and you do it a lot of different stuff. Like, especially now it seems that you're doing, yeah. you know, talking recently over the last couple of years, you, you do, a, you're not doing just rock music necessarily. No, no, no. I, I, for me, like it's, I'm pretty diverse. And how do you approach those type of things? Like, yeah, you know, I obviously, you know, like we were saying, everything's different and you have to approach it completely in a, in a, when you're doing something that's not particularly something you're comfortable with, Mm -hmm. what do you do? I think you, for me, if I'm, if I'm just engineering for somebody, I just execute what they want. It's, it's, it's not my creative decision. You know, I'm there to kind of facilitate what the producer and the band or the artist wants. Now, is that like, that's cool. sort of like a, you know, Albini kind of thing? Just do what the band sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, if that's what people want to do, I love that. Cause I just, I love recording. So just engineering every day makes me happy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but if I'm being, and it's the same thing if I'm being asked, mix for somebody or mix with somebody it's kind of what are you going for how can i help sort of at the last minute help bring the thing across the finish line because you've been working on it for a long time you know you kind of have this sort of like brain soup you know you don't really mind minestrone or something yeah how how often does that happen like how often are you coming in and you're kind of just like doing you know trying to to finish what they have is that is that, is that pretty common as a mixer yeah just because i think a lot of people don't want to have a producer helping them get the sounds that they want and I think really a lot of people yeah i think the p word scares people and i think that's okay because there are a lot of producers who have really you go to them they do something for specific and mm-hmm. if you don't like it you you can get the fuck out you know um I'm not like that. Like when I, and I haven't really produced a lot of things because for me, it's about the people. And so I want to be able to make sure that I can get on the same sort of page as the people that I'm going to be spending a lot of time with in the studio. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And the music that they like and the music that they want to make, you know, I have to be able to help them do it or I'm not going to work on it because I'm not going to do a good job. Right. No, it's not possible for me. So have you gone into a producer role kind of because of that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, and I I think all my productions are co-productions. The band or the artist is always first. And I'm just there to serve those people. And a lot of times, you know, even today in the studio, the band wanted to do, these extra keyboards and the background vocals and guitars. And, you know, they started dialing in the keyboards and I didn't really say anything. And then they, you know, we tracked them and then they said, we don't, we don't really know what we want to do for a guitar sound. Why don't you get a sound going for us? 
mm. to see if we can find something we like, you know. And so then it, it just becomes a sort of like helper, second set of hands in the creative arena, you know. And you're comfortable with that? Yeah. I, I think for me, I just kind of fell into it, and, I, and that's just the way that it works, you know. I mean, I'm sure that you have to, right? I mean, even though you're not like technically a producer, that it just happens from being in that situation, correct? Yeah. And I think for me, the definition of a record producer is someone who came up through the studio ranks. Yeah. So it's who's creative, you know what I mean? So it's, for me, I feel a little bit better having the sort of technical background and then also saying, you know, Hey, we should try these pedals or we should try this sort of drum sound if you're feeling it, you know, instead of just being the person on the couch, that's a quote unquote, vibe director (laughs) (laughs) which is fine like those people are great i I have some amazing producers like that i just i can't do that yeah you know i gotta i gotta be i have to live it just as the band lives it Mm -hmm. so i mean i guess well how did the um uh, how did the the uh fucking interview come apart uh about as far as the uh k-pop thing you know uh it actually was not my control i had come the first time i came up here was with a band called l1011 mm-hmm. and it just we had a great time up here the studio is incredible and the, the the main guy in the band christian he had said you know christian used to do these sort of like he used to interview bands and shit back in the 90s he's a bit older and so he had this sort of like journalist background Mm -hmm. and he had approached the studio owner who's a part publisher and owner of the magazine and he just said you know i want to interview sunny about doing our album awesome and and his approach to recording and all that stuff because we had a you know a good time at your studio and then you know John said he was from Tape Hop, so that's great. Why don't you interview him, and we'll get the pictures going, and we'll just run it. So I, it's weird, like I, yeah. I mean, what, that what, magazine since I was twenty-two. You're right. What, what was it like to get recognized by such a, I mean, a recording giant? I guess in a way, it still feels very surreal. Um, I feel like I'm not worthy of it because it was, you know, the issue that I'm in is like Bob Clearmount and, and, you know, all these people who are in their sixties who like are a part of the records that you read about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's a, it's a huge honor, it's a huge privilege to be sort of featured this early, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, sure. yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's, it's cool. It's funny, but I think, you know, a lot of it too is there's a lot of sort of focus on recording and the equipment and all that stuff. And I think that that's really cool, but our generation needs to care a little bit more about the music that's getting made. Agreed. Yeah. You know, you know like I, I love gear. I'm a total gearhead, but you know, when you start getting into the like, well, if we use this preamp instead of this preamp, the singer is not going to want to sing anymore, you know, <laughs> and, that, and it's real. Just like set, set the shit up and have fun. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, 
so yeah, there definitely needs to be some sort of uh, connection with the audience. Even though I think tape op is obviously for gearheads and or people who are like on the fringe of uh, fans, you know. Because I remember my first tape op uh, you know, issue that I read was you know Jay Robin was on the cover or not the cover, but his name was on the cover. And, that's the only reason I bought it. I was like, "Oh shit, fucking Jawbox!" I want to, I want to read the fuck. I want to read what he's talking about. <clears throat> yeah. So totally. Yeah. And go ahead. It's truly. It, oh, sorry. It's just truly the only, the only real sort of DIY indie recording mag. It's the realest shit you got. Yeah. You know it, what I mean? it, Everyone that works there is the re- is is the real deal. There's no BS. Hmm. It's amazing that it has survived as long as it has being what it is, which is it's, yeah. In, in, today, in today's, and even even when what you're doing, you know, you're doing bigger records and stuff like, you know, it's just things are getting larger for you. It, that That's a pretty small magazine and they're still doing what they intended to do. And it hasn't really changed much. No, I mean, look, it's a totally free magazine that, it's made for recordists by recordists. Yeah. That's it. You know, that's, it's awesome. And it's all, you know, it's all, I, I consider myself a weirdo and it's just, it's all for the weirdos by the weirdos, you know? <laughs> Weird. Cool. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I was glad, I'm glad to talk to you. I think that, uh, hopefully we, went over most of what you what you did. I am sure there's a lot of what we missed. But uh there is a lot, yeah. That's okay. Alright dude. Have a good night man. Alright dude. I'll talk Love you. you. See ya. Love you too. Bye. Bye.
Jerry Cameron, come.